The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. two-man power trip of wrestling i'm your host gp john pause and this is another edition of who is this week we'll be talking about who is the best trainer of all time and of course joining me is the second man in the booth he is known as mr j he is a doctor he is michael p.s jargo jargo how you doing today sir I'm I'm doing all right, pause. It's been kind of a rough week at work, but you know, we, we, we keep on plugging away. And then you gave me this great topic. And of course, I've like was been without internet at work for days now. So that's where I do most of my research. So it was a real quick crash course this morning on the greatest trainers of all time. I think I've got a pretty solid list. I'm interested to see how it matches up with yours. I feel like where you work that the internet would be super important, but maybe yeah. I'm wrong on that. It just seems like it would be. Yeah, life, life is rough at Sinclair Stations right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was actually looking at a report from, I don't know if you followed like Moody's Investor or whatever. They were kind of saying a lot of like negative stuff about Sinclair that they have too much debt and the diamond division or whatever, the diamond sports thing isn't doing well and Bally's and it was yeah, it's a lot of influx there, a lot of craziness going on. Yeah, yeah, crazy stuff, crazy spooky stuff. Putin has struck again. Yes. So this topic, who is the best trainer? It is interesting. We're talking briefly off air about it. We're saying like the top three, top five came easy. The rest I, I listed, not hard, but it, I had to do a little bit more thinking about it, a little bit more digging, a little bit more research. But I feel like I came up with a good solid 18, 19 names. I know you said 19 as well, but I feel like really the top one, two, three, four, yeah, the top five really for me were pretty easy. And I thought kind of not obvious, but maybe obvious to some. Well, you know, so number one, like came to me immediately. Okay. And I, I'm pretty sure knowing your taste and my taste that they're going to line up on number one. I would, I want to start with number two though. Oh. Number two, I have the New Japan Dojo slash Enoki Dojo. Oh, um, good one. When, when you look at the Young Lion system and the excursions and how New Japan trains their professional wrestlers, I had a really, really hard time thinking of a trainer that had produced as many stars over the course of the years as the Enoki Dojo, the New Japan Dojo. 
But pause. I think there's even one that's longer than that list, and that's insane considering New Japan Pro Wrestling has been around since 1972. Yes, I agree. And that one list is definitely huge. And I was looking at if we're thinking about the same guy, it was absolutely huge. But I didn't even think about that New Japan system because it is amazing and fascinating that somehow some guys just go out there and they let's say they were trained elsewhere and it's like yeah i don't know about this guy all of a sudden they go out there they get trained they come out of there it's like holy crap like they're completely different even jay white you're like wow okay like see how he's gonna turn out like damn he's pretty damn good now juice robinson went out there he to me not great in nxt just that's a great comparison really going from the nxt system to the dojo system and then I'm like, wow, he's completely changed, and he's great. He's got psychology, and he's working hard. And I don't know. I always feel like whatever they do out there, they know old school training methods, how to do it right, the way these guys are supposed to be trained. I don't. Know, they always turn out better from New Japan. Could just be your and my taste, but it just always seems to work out that way. Especially guys that were trained elsewhere and then end up over there and then come out of it better than they were before. Yep, absolutely. And the crazy thing is, like, uh, now we know that as far as the L.A. dojo goes, Katsutori Shibata is is the man out there. Yep. Who do you credit for the New Japan dojo? Like, who who is that name that you associate? I mean, outside of Anoki, but I mean, in a modern context, the thing that is so amazing about that system is you can't just say it's that guy. It's this conglomeration in this team of guys that came up through the dojo now training the guys at the dojo. It, it's crazy. You probably don't want me to say, but I know Goto goes in there and trains some of the guys. And I know some of the, some of the, uh, you know, the, the new Japan stalwarts obviously go in and train some of those guys, Eugene Nagata. Like there's a bunch of really good high level all time wrestlers. Maybe you wouldn't consider Goto there, but Nagata obviously. And then that era are training some of these guys. Now, now my rip on Goto is the same rip that I have on Roman Reigns. Great professional wrestlers that the, they have just never clicked with the audience. Roman has gotten there now in this heel turn. But, I mean, I've always called Goto the Roman Reigns of New Japan. Like, the company really wants Goto to be good, and the fans are just like, meh. Yeah, it's Goto. Hmm. It's just the personality. Okay. All right. So maybe you're ripping his ability. No, no. I think he's a hell of a professional wrestler, but... I, I feel like, you know, he's kind of in that Ishii category where it's like, you know, you're going to be the upper mid card, might visit the main event once in a while, but that's that's kind of where Goto is going to be. I'm, although I'm, I fully support, like, giving Goto a personality, like turning him heel, throwing him in, like, LIJ or something, like, do something completely different with Hiroki Goto. Maybe it works like it has with Roman Reigns. So before we get into, like, my top list, I have some other I guess you'd say facilities that I put on my list that I want to talk about since we talked about the dojo. And I don't think it's really transitioned into some great wrestlers. And I don't think it's been really working, although they spin it like it's something that's great. And I know it's a lost leader and I know that they lose millions per year, but Hey, that's the, the, the cost of business really with doing it. But what about the performance center? Do you think they're chugging along and, and bringing along any, any sort of great wrestlers? You know, it's it's funny because I, I have the performance center on my list, but it's all the way down towards the bottom because when you, you really think of like the great stars that have been developed through the performance center era and you've got like Baron Corbin 
and Alexa Bliss. And that's about the two biggest names of people that I can say they walked into the Performance Center without training and went to the main roster as trained WWE talents, like fully homegrown. Because even when you get back into like the Shield guys, I mean, obviously Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose came from the independent scene. They were trained before they got there. And Roman came up more through FCW. So, I mean, you got to look at kind of that next group of guys that were actually born and bred performance center, Baron Corbin and Alexa bliss. That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's funny because all the other people that came through there and had success were trained elsewhere. So it's not necessarily the training. It might be the WBIzing of them, which some consider good and some consider bad, but it might be the triple H formula, which is obviously the WB Vince formula that he, that he knows it's like, Hey, where's the camera? Hey, you got to do a pose. Hey, you got to do a taunt, quote unquote. You know, you got to do a taunt. You got you know, you have to do certain things that they like in their system. And I do agree with them to a certain point of like you got to know where the cameras are. You got to work towards the cameras. I understand that point of it, but a lot of these guys are definitely already fully trained and might not even need the performance center. And you could probably maybe learn some of that on the road. See, now I disagree. I agreed with you for a very long time, oh. and oh. then and, and now I disagree. All right, because I figured out. When people talk about a sports-like presentation, that they want a sports-like presentation, that's the first thing that you change. Rather than the talent knowing where the cameras are, it is the camera's responsibility to follow the talent. And if you want a perfect example of that, that's how New Japan shoots their shows. And it feels much more sport-like inside of the presentation rather than this is where the camera is and the talent has to position themselves for the camera. It's just an opposite train of thought. And I really think that the new Japan sports presentation style translates better. I gotcha. But they definitely like it that way. Like WB definitely. Oh yeah. Oh like, yeah. Like, Hey, Finn Balor, make sure you're looking this way. And do the, the, the well, you know, and duh, it's funny. Raise your arms. Like, yep. we, we talked about juice Robinson, right? Juice Robinson went from CJ Parker inside of NXT to new Japan pro wrestling, completely different person. And Oh my God, I love juice Robinson now. On the other hand, you have Finn Balor, who comes to NXT and goes through the NXT system after being trained through the dojo system in Japan, and everybody says that his best matches happened in Japan. So which version is really better? You know what I mean? It's. It, it, I, I thought Balor did a really, really good job of explaining the difference between the main roster and NXT when once upon a time he said the main roster is Hollywood, NXT is Broadway. And I thought that was just a great explanation and of more so the independent scene versus what WWE does. My only real knock on the performance center, other than it's very cookie cutter is that if the performance center was such a great thing and that they wanted guys to go through there and that was the end all be all, then they wouldn't have just thrown Braun Strowman on the road to learn. And you know what I mean? He would have went to the performance center almost yep. or Amos, whatever he would have been in the performance center. Not saying that these guys don't go down there and train there occasionally, but they're learning on the road. They're learning on the job. So to me, it's like, okay, they feel like maybe the big men can learn better on the road, but they almost don't fully trust the system all the way. Where they're like, oh, this this Braun Strowman guy who we see so much money in, let's put him through the system. It, it's like they ignored that because they they didn't trust the system almost to a certain point, and they put him on the road, and he learned on the road. 
And now we know they didn't trust the system because we have NXT 2.0. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that just solidifies your point right there. Yep. And it's interesting, like, let's say Mandy Rose was on the main roster. Now she's back in NXT. She's doing NXT 2.0. So I know that they're trying to give that a little bit of a facelift and maybe obviously give her maybe a little bit of a facelift. But it's interesting to see the ways they, they handle certain talents. Like, obviously, they saw some money in Braun. Like, oh, skip the system. You're on the road. Right. Yeah, they don't want maybe the system to ruin Running it the coconut loop rather than you know NXT television. Yep, absolutely. So I was also thinking about, and it's funny. And I was talking to a trainer from this place, which I'll get to later. But I feel like this place got a negative rap, and I have no idea why because the performance center copied off of a lot of it, and they like they'll probably deny it. But literally, the way the rings are set up is Triple H said I want it to be the WCW power plant. And an NFL training facility combined them both. The rings are literally set up like the power plant. I was set up maybe a little bit different where, where like they're a little crisscross or a little zigzag with, with where the rings are placed, but it's, it's a blueprint or a copy of, of the WCW power plant. So did the power plant rank at all on your list? Cause for some reason I've heard a lot of negative things about how, you know, the military drill style training, maybe it was a little too tough, but I got to put them on the list. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. And I feel like the power plant gets such a bad rep and I've never really understood why other than, you know, what I like to call the pussification of America. Like, yeah, it was hard. Uh And (laughs) no shit. Like, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. I mean, look at the young bucks, but I mean, like I I'm 100% completely agree with you. I thought the power plant was way ahead of its time and when I first heard about the power plant, it was just like, oh, that makes complete sense. It's like you go to like pro wrestling college and that, that, that's like the power plant. You know, that was just it, it seemed logical to me. Yep. And it was kind of amazing that it hadn't been done only to find out, you know, oh, yeah, it, it has already been done. It was just the first time that we had seen it on a national scale like that. And it's funny, Batista, who obviously goes to WB, Dr. Tom trains him for a day, whatever, and says, like, okay, this guy's got it, like the way he locks up. He trained with Alpha in, in Pennsylvania. Like, then he goes to OVW, they see money in him. But when he was at the power plant, they were like, you're just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. We don't, you know, and obviously this is a few years before he would go to OVW, but it's like, we're not going to treat you any special, any different because you have a great look. Let's see how tough you are. And he quit and he ripped um, Dwayne Bruce, who I have on my list as, as a good trainer. They, he ripped him and said he was too tough on him, too hard on him, blah, blah, blah. That's the way he was trained because, hey, he wants to see who really wants it or not. And obviously, Batista would quit, come back, and then get back into it because, you know, he still had the bug. But I just thought that was fascinating. I think, wow, Batista didn't make it in WCW. But he, he kind of held a grudge. But guys like Goldberg did make it. So it's it's one of those things you, you got to almost be used to it goldberg probably used to it from football days being treated like a dog right. and you know I, right. me playing football even in lower levels was very used to that kind of training and those yep. kind of coaches but goldberg's probably used to it to the nth degree playing in the nfl so he could handle it batista couldn't as far as the power playing the way they were and it, it, the whole thing is fascinating you say like you know it was a couple of years before like the whole ovw thing but look at how much the business changed inside of those couple of years. Like you say, you know, oh yeah, he's got a good look. But as I think about the guys that were coming through the power plant, Batista just looked like another guy. Right. I mean, look at the talents that were going through there and how they were built. Like they were all brick shit houses, right? And Drac and O'Hare. Yeah, look at them. Right. Man. 
And just within those couple of years, oh my God, look at him. He looks like a guy from like five years ago. You know, it it was just those couple of years really made a lot of difference for Batista. It's crazy to think that, okay, people were ripping the power plant, but Goldberg, DDP, the Giants, all the natural born thrillers. You got Mike Sanders, who, you know, people might say, oh, Mike Sanders, but he was great on the mic. I thought he was a hell of a talent. Obviously, Jindrak, O'Hare, Palumbo. There was a bunch of good guys that, that I thought came through the power plant. And I know a lot of the wrestlers would go down there and train with Dwayne Bruce, who was on my list, uh, Paul Orndorff, Pistol Pez Wadley, Jody Hamilton. It's just funny to think that that there's like some sort of negative connotation to them really drilling you and being hard on you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I And I think it's just the pussification of America, Paz. I mean, we, we, we see it in Hollywood. We see it in professional sports. I mean, it's just, yeah, everybody's got feelings now. Uh, even the next Rey Mysterio, according to himself, Kid Romeo is uh, down there. So, <laughs> wow, there's a name I haven't thought about in a long freaking time. I won't say who, but I interviewed Kid Romeo uh, a few months ago. Great interview, but he said that about being the next Rey Mysterio. All this stuff. I got a text from a former WWE wrestler, and he goes, "Bullshit." <laughs> you know the thing that's hilarious. <laughs> The next Ray Mysterio, Ray Mysterio still going, bro. Where are you yeah. at? Yeah. Yep. I mean, like, th- we haven't needed a next Ray Mysterio because Ray's just been around for holy crap. I mean, he's got to be at what, 30, 35 years at this point? Getting up there. Yeah. He started at 14. What's he, 45, 46? So it's 32 years, I believe. So 32. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, insane. that's insane, especially wrestling that style. And he's still athletic as all hell. And I I do feel like Ray slowed down quite a bit as he put on more weight, um, which I is when you think about it, like, did that lead to more injuries or did it prevent more injuries? You know, right. so yep. Ray's a very interesting career to look at from his early days. And it's funny, like, who's the next Ray Mysterio? Maybe a son. Who knows? We don't know oh, yet. God. We don't know. Could be. Come on. We don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think it will be, but it could be. You never know. Do, do you have a next Rey Mysterio on your list? Like, if you had to say, like, you know, number one mass junior heavyweight in the world right now, it's got to be Dragon Phoenix. Ray oh, Phoenix. Dragon Lee. Yeah, I would go Ray Phoenix. Dragon Lee is the first one that comes to mind for me. Ray Phoenix would surely be on my short list, though. Yep, Ray Phoenix for sure. The only thing with Ray Phoenix is. And I know he's, he's not working. undersized like Ray. And yeah, Ray he's not. Me. He's not very small like those guys. And he's got to work on his English, which is not like indefinite. But Ray worked on it and got pretty good at promos and stuff. And obviously, Ray Phoenix needs to. He's trying, but we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. Ray is a really effective ninety-second promo that talks for like five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he he came a long way since when he first started. Oh, he's yeah. like so nervous oh, yeah. and yeah. So another guy on my list I mentioned, Dwayne Bruce. To mention the power plan. Do you have Bill DeMott on your list? Or is that another one of those things where he got in trouble for the being too tough on the guys and stuff like that? Well, I mean, I, I didn't put DeMott on my list. And I think I didn't put DeMott on my list because I have the performance center on my list. Okay. And I, I link the two of them so closely together. But I mean, when I hear the stories of Bill DeMott, I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah, and like he just seems like a guy from an era that has evolved beyond him 
at this point. Like he seems like my high school defensive line coach and he wasn't a nice guy, you know? I feel like, yeah, his style, I guess, just didn't mesh well, but I've talked to guys that like trained under him and they, I don't know. They love that. I guess it's this different personality depends on your upbringing, depends on what you're used to or, or not up used to. I don't want to get into any sort of the co- people saying, oh, controversies. He did that. He did this. Who knows? Who knows what happened back then? It was a different world, different place. Well, you know, his personality is Hugh Morris. <laughs> yeah. I do, you know who, do you know who made that up? No. Dear God, who? Terry Taylor. Why does that not surprise me <laughs> even a little bit, you know? And it's funny, that whole, you know, Disco always talks about Bill Ding and that, like, funny, the evil architect, yep. human, Terry Taylor. So yeah. he loved those play on names, whatever the hell that's referred to as. He loved that shit. Well, I mean, I loved me, Hugh Morris, like back in WCW and in the whole kind of like uh, Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing when it really yeah. got going. Like, I thought there was absolutely something to that gimmick and they just never really did anything with it. Nope. And it's funny, too, because it's like you're like, this guy's almost 300 pounds. How the hell is he doing that good of a moonsault? Like really right? good moonsault. Very athletic, very good worker. You could tell he definitely was a good hand. Yeah. And they just never really did anything with him. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Another guy on my list, very, very, very high in the top five, Dr. Tom Pritchard. My boy, Dr. Tom, he's got to be considered up there. If you just think of The Rock, Kurt You can Angle. stop. You can, you can stop right after Rock. I mean, right. like, and the list is just as impressive after Rock. Right. Mark Henry, Kurt Angle. I always joke around and say Brackus because he was a, one of his first trainees. And they thought out of Mark Henry, The Rock, and Brackus, they thought Brackus because that's the Vince type of guy. He's on all those covers of all those magazines, uh, bodybuilding magazines and stuff. That, crazy, and, right? Like they think Brackus and Vince, you know, Vince loves those magazines. So he's like, oh, there's Brackus again. There he is. So they thought Occam Albright was going to be bigger than them. And it's funny, the third by far and The Rock is first by far. So it's just crazy to think. But you got to love that. Then you throw in like Natty Nightheart, all the other ones that he's trained, Seamus and Kofi and Ziggler. And I mean, it goes on and on and on forever. It's a Hall of Fame roster. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, it, it, it's absolutely freaking crazy. Was absolutely. he number one just by curious on, on your list? No, he was not. Okay, he wasn't on mine, but he's in the top five, top yeah. three. And it's funny. Um, I always say to him, you know, one of the greatest trainers ever or the greatest. And he said that, you know, that that's all subjective. But he was saying, like, if you look at my resume, I'm pretty lucky. You know, the rock angle and like those guys is like they can't kind of came came through me. It's just crazy yeah. to think. And all those guys still have a great relationship with him, too. Well, and a lot of these lists is it's just like, wow, how did some of these guys end up with, you know, like four Hall of Famers, five Hall of Famers, you have 15 Hall of Famers. Like, how does that even happen? And you have to assume that really after you get one, then other people want to come and they want to be trained because they want yeah. to be trained in that same light. And so it kind of starts this giant snowball effect. And while I don't have Dr. Tom up at number one, he might have the biggest snowball. Yeah. Yep. Hey, look, he started training in 96, still training with the JPWA with uh, Glenn King Jacobs today. And he's got a couple of uh, AEW, you know, they're on dark and stuff, but they're slowly coming along and coming through. And he's got that girl, Emily Andrulis, who I forget her name, Jewel Nile or something on NXT or Ivy Nile, but that's his trainee as well. So he's already got a WWE talent. 
let me ask you that. How involved is Glenn? He basically shows up once a week, checks up on everybody. He's not like training. He's too busy with being the mayor and stuff, but he like checks on Dr. Tom, makes sure everything's okay. Does all the paperwork, all that kind of stuff. He doesn't do the physical training, but he says like, if there's a big class or, or something, he'll come in, he'll make a surprise appearance and he'll watch the guys wrestle. Because I always thought that Glenn Jacobs would be one of those guys who would have a job for life at the performance center and only work with guys that are six ten and taller. Like, right. I, Right. He was so good at working his size that if he could actually explain that to someone else, I think that would be an invaluable asset. And the thing I loved about him too, it's like, you don't need to do all these crazy moves and try to do all this different kind of stuff. Use your character, use your psychology. I don't know. He was always kind of the master of that. And it was like, do less with more or more with less or however that that phrase goes but he mastered it. i always thought it was great yes he'd come off the top rope and, and do some good and crazy moves and stuff but i love just the way he worked i love the way yep. he would go about his business and such a professional everyone loved working with him uh dana bryan always says like he helped his career in, in so many aspects behind the scenes like how to handle yourself in front of the camera he would be he would have been great with Strowman. like you need to do this right. don't go too crazy doing that or even almost like do this don't do that here's the psychology here's how you handle this here like he's working with undertaker who you know you might say is not a political beast but i'm sure he's a big political beast to a certain extent and he's his quote-unquote little brother on tv he's got a mind that field but he's still got to be a main eventer but he's still yep. got to be a little humble because you're being thrown to the main event right away and that's not a spot that's usually you know it's frowned upon usually it's not usually something people are like yeah you took us my spot you're a main eventer right away so he's like a master of psychology in the in the camera excuse me on the camera and behind the camera yeah i mean i and two words that you never had to say to kane slow down right I mean, like, even from, like, day one, he had that pacing, that, that cadence that it comes to professional wrestling. He had it down to a science. It was like, you know, somehow Mark Calloway just sat him down and had, like, a five-minute conversation with him. And some guys work for 15 years waiting for it to click, and he got it in about 15 minutes. It's crazy. It's great. I know he, he worked with Al Snow a bit, too, in Smoky Mountain, and Al Snow was kind of like the – who's on my list, by the way, is a great trainer. But even well then, even then it was like, he was a mentor to a guy's while he's still wrestling. The wrestling's best kept secret as a lot of people called yep. him. And he was helping him along and Undertaker wrestled, uh, um, Unabom Kane at the, yep. at the big uh, Super Bowl with wrestling show. And then it's like, wow, this guy is great. Vince signed this guy. Okay. You might have to sit through a couple horrible gimmicks. We'll find something for you, but this guy's got it. And he did. And is that the worst gimmick in professional wrestling history? Isaac Yankum? No, Kane. I mean, to, to be given that gimmick, when you think about it, like you're the Undertaker's little brother and you have to live up to that. So right. not only, you know, do you have to have the character work over enough, not only do you have to have everything in ring just incredibly tight, you now have to work kind of like the Undertaker. You have to learn all of the Undertaker's moveset. You're, you're, you're going out there and you're copying the greatest gimmick of all time as his little brother. That might be the worst gimmick ever that he turned into a Hall of Fame career. But I mean, that very easily could have been another Isaac Yankum. Yeah, no doubt. So I have Al Snow on my list, who I just mentioned, but another guy I have very, very high on my list. We kind of mentioned him briefly off air. What about Eddie Sharkey? 
Yes. I, you know, he is Eddie Sharkey. As I'm looking at this list, right? Road Warriors, Rick Rude, Jerry Lynn, X Pac, the Barbarian, Medusa, Jesse Ventura, the Steiners, Nikita Cole. And it's like, holy crap, dude. Bob Backlund. Right. I mean, it's just, it's an insane list. And this has got to be one of those snowball things, right? Like you get one and then everybody else just keeps coming there. But what an incredible roster. Like if, if this was a promotion by itself, you could put together, you know, probably the number three wrestling company in America right now. I interviewed him a few months ago and I was talking to him and I was saying, man, they were lucky to have you. And he said, no, I was lucky to have them. Like speaking to Road Warriors and Rick Rude and Jesse and Backlund, he said, because as soon as I got or everyone got wind that I trained those guys and they came for me and, you know, I brought them along. He goes, but each one of them had something. He's like, it's not just me taking a, uh, a little thing of like clay and creating this monster. He's like, the monster was there. I just had to mold the clay. So he was saying he was very lucky because after that, Everyone wants to give him, you know, $3,000 a pop or you know, whatever it is right. to train with him for years. So he was saying that he was so lucky to be in like the right place at the right time to meet those guys, to see something in those guys. that maybe they didn't see them themselves, but push them in the right direction, mold them like clay, train them and then say, hey, like that's you, your hawk and your animal. Like that's you guys, you know, Mike and Joe, like you guys are hawk and animal. like that's be that and like kind of just push them in the right direction. And I love that because right place right time whatever you want to say maybe it was the perfect guy at the perfect place at the perfect time because it just seems like wow that area had so much good wrestling talent and if somebody didn't develop and hone that talent man that would have sucked is how many hall of famers and right. you could say greatest tag team ever rick rude one of the greatest wrestlers ever bob Backlund, one of the best jesse mentor one of the best crazy but the thing that's crazy about it to me pause is some of these guys that as we talk about them, there is a distinct style there. Like you are learning a certain style from that trainer. When it comes to this, look at all the different styles, right? The road warriors, Rick Rude, Jerry Lynn, right? Like the barbarian, you know, more on, on the road warrior side, but it's like, there's so many different styles of hall of fame careers here so well-rounded that to me was the most impressive thing as i was looking at the list and i was going through which i love doing i should do this more often with the wrestlers but i feel like it might be a little boring for the audience i will just name a wrestler and he'll say yes or no if he trained them or not so i'm like medusa yep i go sean waltman he said no not technically he was trained by boris from Linko, but he came to me for seasoning so i was like that counts uh, a little bit yep. and then he's like jerry lynn like yes like it was just funny going through and him saying technically like warlord no technically not barbarian yes like just going through i, I thought that was a, a cool thing for me just because i was like i love doing that quick hitters and seeing what he says just off the top of his head like yes no kind of they came to me for seasoning because it it is he's responsible for for all is them. is he the he's one of the first guys that i remember hearing about that guys would do that like they would get trained somewhere and then it was like they would go to him for finishing class. Yeah. Yep. He's which is so popular now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so popular now that so many people do that. Whether they do it with uh, Danny Cage down the Monster Factory yep. or they do it with Terry Taylor in uh, the Performance Center. You know, that's what it seems like they're doing um, for sure. Now, speaking of Monster Factory, I do have that on my list. I do have Danny Cage on my list. But more importantly, I have Larry Sharp on my list. 
I, I have them side by side on okay. my list yeah, because how do you really distinguish? I mean, what a legacy at the monster factory, right? I mean, when you look at the list of talent that those guys have pumped out over the course of decades at this point, do you got a full roster there? Oh my God. You got Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, so many guys. It's just, it's just insane. Technically the giant Paul White did go through there as well. I mean, it's just crazy how many guys went through the monster factory. And then he recently Riddle and uh, Damian Priest. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really everybody from like, you know, Bam Bam to Damian Priest, you know, and think of how many freaking years that is to be pumping out top end, high notch, top level world champion level talents. And it's funny, Danny Cage, who's the, the head trainer there, people are like, oh, he, he didn't make it or whatever. He was trained by Larry Sharp. And sometimes the best trainers aren't necessarily the best players. Look at Belichick, not a good football player, but became the best coach. So sometimes it works out that way. But to say, like, where did Danny Cage learn his training? Oh, by the way, he trained under Larry Sharp at the Monster Factory, the original one. So great, great lineage there. Well, as, as I look at, you know, this list, there's a couple of guys that, you know, were like NWA world heavyweight champions, you know, that are all time greats. But most of the list are guys that were in the business that just didn't necessarily like one that everybody talks about today. Right. Is Lance Storm. Yep. Not that Lance Storm had a bad career in any way, shape or form, but people don't necessarily think of Lance Storm as a main event like global talent. But if my kids go into wrestling school and I need to send them to finishing class, you go to Lance Storm. Like right. that just seems like a no-brainer to me. You go to Lance Storm. Absolutely. Definitely. Uh, Storm is on my list. You mentioned NWA, former champions. Do you have Dory Funk Jr. on your list? Of course I have Dory Funk Jr. on my list. And again, like when you look at the Attitude Era, and I mean really all the way up to Bailey, you know? I thought that one was kind of cool. Yeah, he trained Wesley Blake, too, if uh, everybody remembers Wesley Blake. Um, but I, I don't... Lita to Bailey. you know, I think of the evolution of women's wrestling inside of that course of time. And I mean, that was cutting edge, what he was doing with Lita at that time. And you want a great like in ring technician teaching it? Can't get better than Dory Funk. Yeah, no. I still like some of his matches. I know people are like, oh no, that's old school. I, if you ever watch Funk and Briscoe, it's like shit. Like, damn, you could do that today. And like wrestling's still wrestling, it's still good. But I mean, the, especially Attitude Era stuff. Like Angle did some time there with him. Edge mm -hmm. and Christian yep. did time there with him. The Hardys did time there with him. Val Venus, Test, Lita, like. That is the attitude era right there. Just basically personified. It's like, of yeah. course, of course, it'd be trained by a funk. Training by Dory Funk and Dr. Tom at the same time, basically. Yep. Hand in hand there. Um, what about Boris Malenko, the great Malenko? He's got to be on your list. Of course, the great Malenko is on my list. And Dean Malenko is a guy who I don't think anybody gets like credits Dean Malenko for training them, but he works with everybody behind the scenes and has basically since he was in WCW, like Malenko yep. might be the best trainer. That's not considered a trainer. And now, you know, he's an agent at AEW, but Boris Malenko, again, you talk about guys like Norman Smiley, who would now himself is a fantastic freaking trainer. I had him on my list too. Yep. Absolutely. What about, 
Well, was Malenko very high on your list, or where where would he sit? Man, I, I've got Malenko kind of middle of the pack, you know, but there's some fantastic talents. I mean, when you talk about Dean and Joe by themselves, you got Barry Horowitz on that list. Gangrel, who was like one of my like most underrated talents of all time is on that list. I look at Dean, right? I mean, like just training Dean Malenko, who is like technically one of the greatest wrestlers of all freaking time. Of course you're going to make the list. What about hero Matsuda? Yeah, I, I knew that it was coming, Paz. I knew that somehow you had to get Hogan involved on this list. What? Oh, what? No, what? Uh-huh, uh-huh. No, I... How did that happen? That's what I want to know. And, Paz, I know you have to have this story. How did Hulk Hogan meet Hiro Matsuda? So, Hogan is a huge mark, or was a huge mark. He used to always go, literally watch the shows. He would go watch Dusty and everybody, and He's like, man, I want to be a wrestler. He's he's literally playing band, which is one of the greatest lines of all time by Piper. While you're playing guitar at Tootsie's Bar and Grill, <laughs> uh, Piper's a god. Um, but basically, you know, he's a musician, but he's a big fan, huge mark. And they see how big this guy is. And he's like, I want to get into the business. He goes down to the, you know, the the um, what is the armory, if you will, and he goes and goes to see if he can get trained. And of course, because they treated like a legit shoot Matsuda yeah, breaks his leg yeah. yeah beats the shit out of him yeah which is funny because it's like Hulk doesn't know what's going on he doesn't know what to do but Matsuda obviously knows how to take you down and he doesn't care if the guy's bigger than him and snaps his leg and he's like we'll never see that guy again he comes back because he really wants it and it's in his blood and he wants to be a wrestler and they start training him for real yeah yeah I, it's an incredible story but it's just like how how did Hulk Hogan meet Hiro Matsuda? Like it just seems weird, so right? odd, right? Yep. yep. Great stuff. I love it. Um, he's not too high on my list either. But, and obviously, come on, he shouldn't be breaking guys' legs, but that's the way it was done back then. Bob Roop used to beat the shit out of guys too, like beat the living hell out of them. And yeah. apparently, like they would get like real good amateur wrestlers down there. You know, you make them dog tired, you make them run, and then calling the closer you call him roop and he would like destroy them and if they would stay they would stay if not you know <laughs> they would quit and never come back so it is what it is uh, to a certain extent what about well and, and in his defense in his defense when you start you know you're hanging out with guys like Inoki and ricky dozan right i'm i'm, I'm guessing matsuda had the shit beat out of him on day one too like this yeah. is how you do it and it is you know, they always like nature versus nurture. Well, that's the way these guys were taught. So yep. don't say they're assholes and this and that. That's exactly the way they were brought up. And the generation before, very tough. Yeah, very. Yeah, tough. yeah. Physically and mentally and emotionally and everything else. So what about Killer Kowalski? He's got to be on your list. Of course, I got to have Killer Kowalski on the list simply because, you know, he, he trained, you know, Strangler Steve King. I mean, you know, because otherwise, Ooh, you know, the, good the, one. the strangler yeah. would take me out. Right. I mean, got to put over the strangler. But I mean, Triple H, China, got all the way back to Big John Stud are also, you know, Hameen Media's own April Hunters on that list. And yeah. you've also got guys like Fondango and Sandow on that list. Did right. Triple H in China. No, no. Oh. I, who are they? Right. Okay. Like. But I mean, even Perry Saturn, like. There's something about it's so weird, right? Because I mean, Triple H and China are the first two that come to mind, right? Right, of course. But 
there's a lot of very interesting personalities on this list when you look at Killer Kowalski's school. Aaron Stevens? Yeah, like Sandow, Fandango, Perry Saturn. Like, what, what, what was in the water up at Kowalski's? Slick Wagner Brown? Yeah. It's interesting. I'm going to have to talk to a Strangler Steve about that. Even Nowitzki. Like, yeah, what? he's got a pretty good pedigree up there. Yeah, absolutely. What about Danny Davis down there in the Ohio Valley? Now, how much of this do you, I mean, Danny Davis, Rip Rogers, and OVW, what they did was absolutely incredible, right? But, I, to, but to be honest, a little caveat, I give the credit to Rip. I give it to Rip Rogers. Okay. And and the other thing is that talent roster that they were sent to make into this era of WWE superstar is second to none. Like, yes, they absolutely get the credit. You know, when you're looking at Orton and Lesnar and Cena and Kelly Kelly and Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas and Bobby Lashley, they were sent those talents. Those talents didn't necessarily go there. You know what Batista. I mean? So yep. that one's a little bit weird for me because of course you got to give them the credit because all those talents did go through there and you can see the Rip Rogers influence all over them. But it's a little bit different when the talent is coming to you versus having the talent sent to you by you know, the massive corporation. That's true. That's true. World-class talent. Yeah, I definitely give Rip a lot of credit though for molding them, no doubt absolutely and so, i, I want to see like that entire like why is that era of ovw not on the cock like you know, know they got all that yeah, video i don't know footage. yeah they do and they own it yep i'd love to see all that video footage what about dominic Danucci, the man that trained shane douglas and mick foley that's the era of ecw and training superstars for that era it just seems insane to me. Like, how do you train Mick Foley? Like, you just start throwing him off buildings and shit? <laughs> like, what? how do you train the Mick Foley? It's pretty impressive, man. Danucci. But it's a lot of it is that more extreme, hardcore kind of stuff. I mean, even Shane Douglas, right? ECW. Yep. Although he was kind of the, um, to me, like the... Uh the wrestler in the middle of uh, chaos. <laughs> well, ECW doesn't get nearly enough credit for his actual professional wrestling. Everybody sure. just remembers yeah. the hardcore stuff. But yeah. have you interviewed Danucci? Yes. How is that conversation? Because he seems like a very interesting personality to me that I've never really heard a whole lot from. Oh, he's great. He passed away uh, a few months ago. Oh, I guess I totally unfortunately. missed that. Yeah, unfortunately he passed away. He was 90 when he passed so he lived a very long very healthy very healthy never needed glasses or anything he just had a lot of like foot problems and stuff but wow so when he was training all this talent he was like 60 he was older yeah yeah wow that's crazy he was still in wbf when he was almost like 50 he was still yeah kind of going true. but man he is awesome it's so funny because he was best friends with bruno bruno never cursed never did anything Dominic curses like a sailor. You know what I mean? He just cursed like creep, but he's such a, he was such like a sweet, kind guy. And it's just funny because he calls him Troy and Mickey instead of, you know, Shane and, and, and Mick. So it's the way he just, he basically says like, 
I, you know, train the meats and potatoes, you know, I, and just telling the great stories about how he's getting the guys ready. If the guys are late, you know, he's very like old school in certain aspects that like he wants you on time. You got to act a certain way. You got to be a certain way, but he wouldn't train you necessarily character or anything like that. He's te- teaching you meat potatoes, how to work psychology, how to be a good worker. So he was really cool. Such a nice guy. Good Interesting. Stories. Good stories. I'll have to find that interview. Send it to me. Yeah. All right. You got it. Um, I also had Ron Hutchinson on my list. I don't know if he was on yours at all. Yes, I do have Hutchinson on my list somewhere. I have too many notes, Paz. I have too many notes. Wow. Damn. So do I, I think. So Hutchinson's on there, right? He's got to be. Hutchinson's on my list, but I don't. Oh, there it is. Edge, Christian. He's the Canadian guy. Yeah, Trish. Trish, Gail Kim, Beth Phoenix. Jason Sensation. Good stuff. Yeah. Um. What about Les Thatcher? He's got to be on there. Les Thatcher, I do have on the list. And he was one that was interesting to me. Who all do you give credit to Thatcher for? Because he's one of these names as I'm going through everything. And it's like I'm seeing names that I've seen in other places before, too. So a lot of like Nigel McGinnis, for sure, is, is right. Les Thatcher. But a lot of guys definitely were trained elsewhere. They go to him for finishing or to get them ready for the WWE. No doubt about it. Yeah, so I wasn't exactly sure where to put him on the list. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Like Cody Hawk, for instance, trained Dean Ambrose. I have him right. uh, a little bit low on my list, too, but he trained Dean Ambrose. But it's like he also kind of went with Les for a little bit. So it, it's kind of one of those things where Les may be more of a finishing coach. And I've interviewed Cody, and Cody is a hell of a freaking guy. I could talk yeah, to that no guy, guy for hours. Pick his brain. Great yeah. stuff. Yep. Good guy. Um, I also put on here just the Creative Pro guys, uh, Buck and Brian Myers, just because they got a pretty good school over there. They seem to be getting MJF. And obviously, they kind of literally told me that they took their training from Dr. Tom. So it's almost like a, uh, what do you get to call like a, a line all the way through if you go Dr. Tom and then all of his guys. So the MJFs of the world, the Anthony Bowens, guys like that were trained by those guys at creative pro, but with the Dr. Tom curriculum. Yeah. So it's kind of a, like, like, like the bloodshed coaching tree. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I like it. I put William Regal on my list. I don't know if you put him on yours. I did not have Regal on my Ooh, list. Oh, I'm surprised. That's a good one. That's a good one. He's kind of more of a finishing coach as well. And just kind of a, just, I know with the performance center stuff, but when he was in Memphis, he was helping out guys. Brian Danielson gives him a ton of credit for his style and his ability. And that's why he wears that coat, those colors, maroon colors because of Regal. Okay. You bring up Danielson, right? When I see HBK's name mentioned inside of some of these, can we just stop? It's Jose Lothario, right? But really Rudy boy was, was training the guys for HBK. So, so who do you give the credit for Danielson, London, Kendrick? Who does that go to? Rudy Boy Gonzalez, hundred percent. Rudy Boy Gonzalez. Okay, yeah, has to be. And hey, I had he's, it, still, he's. I have him on us. He's pretty good. He still does some training today. I had it all under Jose Lothario because, okay. I, again, it, it feels like that's that tree to me. You know, that's why I was curious. Like, who actually do you give him the credit to? Because obviously, they put HBK's name on the school to put bring people in. Yep. But by all accounts, Sean was not really involved in anybody's training. Nope. 
the only thing really was that it's funny around that school was that match against Venom, aka Paul Diamond, that they had that brawl, and that everyone was assuming that oh, because he did that, he's probably in the ring training with these guys. He wasn't. No, no. So, so I'm I'm a little surprised that you still haven't gotten my my two of my top three here. Pause. And I'm literally just about to name one of them right now. Vern Ganya. Yep, that's number three on my list. And I mean, as much as we talk about, you know, like Monster Factory and the list of names that came through there, the list of names that came through the AWA and under Vern, when you're talking, you know, Backlund gets some credit up there. Sheiky Baby, Flair, Steamboat, Dick the Bruiser, Kurt Henning, you know, but this is kind of where I was talking about earlier, where you get some of these guys are so well-versed in so many different styles. When you saw somebody that was trained by Vern, you knew that they were trained by Vern. Yeah. It's very, very distinct. Yep. It's interesting. The Sharky Vern like split because they were together for a little Mm -hmm. bit and and the split and Sharky ended up training the road warriors and those guys. But it's interesting because, Vern almost gets credit for those guys because he was with Sharky for a while, but it's really more of a split. But Vern's resume, holy shit. Yeah, it's just absolutely incredible. But it also helps when you're the promoter and you can actually push the guys that, you know, you want to push. Yep. But the talent level was ridiculous. Oh, it's it's insane. It's insane. So the number one guy I had on my list. Uh, Of course. We have to be the same on this pause. And I said to Dr. Tom, and TJ Wilson said the same thing to me. No offense to Dr. Tom. He's got to give it to Stu Hart. Yeah, you got to give it to Stu I mean, read the list, Pause. I know you got the list. This is it, freaking incredible. It's just just to think about it, though. Now I got, now I got to pull it back up because it's insane. It literally is like a mile long. Yeah. And that's just the Hart family. And then there's everybody else that went through the dungeon, too. So if you think about just Stu in general, obviously you think like Brett, Owen, Nightheart, Davy Boy. Like so it's like, holy shit, okay, this guy's resume is ridiculous. Then let's throw out Bad News Brown, Abdul the Butcher, Billy Jack Haynes, uh, Brian Pillman, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, a little bit of Jesse Ventura, uh, Dynamite Freaking Kid. Obviously, I mentioned Davy Boy. Fritz von Erich, Gamma Singh, Gene Anderson, Gorilla Monsoon, Greg Valentine, partially, Honky Tonk Man, partially, Jake Roberts, partially, Jushin, Thunder, Liger, Hiroshi, Hase, a little bit of Ken Shamrock because he went up there to train, Just Incredible, Lance Storm, uh, Larry Cameron, if everybody remembers him, friggin' Mass Hero Chono, uh, I mean, Jesus Christ, uh, it's insane. Steve Blackman, Superstar Billy Graham, uh, your boy Outback Jack, and it goes on on and on joe LaDuke, who i don't know if you remember uh, kenny and spenny or not oh yeah oh man i i just is completely off topic but i know since he trained joe LaDuke, i'll never be able to mention this ever again spenny's playing such a heel there's a girl in the audience that keeps heckling him he goes yeah okay he goes uh real nice uh uh buddy your girlfriend looks like joe LaDuke. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. Me and my brother, like my brother's like, I kind of get that reference. Like Joe LaDuke's an ugly old wrestler from Canada. And I go, Spenny's a huge mark and he's Canadian. So it's like, and, and then right. Spenny goes, like whispers in a mic, but really low. He goes, nobody's going to get that reference. 
<laughs> Did you go up to him afterwards and say, "Hey, I got that reference"? No, because he was gone or whatever. But I, I, I still uh, message him like it's I email. Uh, I interviewed him, so I email him once in a while. I'm going to uh, email him later on today and say, "Man, what a freaking reference!" I literally was laughing all night about. I was like, because he even said like nobody's going to get that reference. I was like, that was great. Not to say the woman was ugly, but let's just say he nailed it. <laughs> but it, I just like, oh my god, uh, Joe LaDuke, perfect reference, awesome. But Stu Hart again. My God, uh, what a friggin' resume. Unreal. And the thing that's incredible to me is when you look at this resume, there are so many names on there that you can say at one time, that was the best professional wrestler in the world. Yeah. Yep. And on many different continents. Yeah. And it, that's, it's incredible. And by all accounts, that's where the idea for fight club came from, right? Like the whole, like standing on the porch and people coming out and being insulted, but welcome to project mayhem. Like it, it, that was the dungeon. Yep. The heart dungeon. And it's funny because TJ Wilson trains guys today. He does, you know, the, uh, Stu Hart system, if you will, just learning that David Boyd Smith jr. I mean, these guys train other people and Natalia in that vein and in that generation and, and in that way of, of schooling. So that's just awesome. So I think we're probably in agreement. Maybe I'll just ask you one more time. Who is the best trainer of all time? I, I had to go. Stu was the first name that I wrote down. And it's really, really hard to argue with Stu Hart as far as an individual goes. I do have the New Japan Dojo and Noki Dojo kind of right up there. But Stu is just heads and shoulders because it's one individual. You can look directly at Stu Hart and say, yeah, that's the guy. Like if you had Bret Hart alone, you'd be like, okay, the guy he's got to be up there. Like, okay, Bret Hart's the son. He trained Bret. Like, okay, but then you start rattling off. Well, I mean, Davy Boy and Owen. Yeah, even <laughs> if you just look, yeah, it's if you just crap. remove anybody that is a member of the Hart family, that's still a Hall of Fame roster, even without the Hearts. Yeah, insane. and that's incredible. So I got to go, Stu, as well. I think this is a clean sweep here. Uh, it's got to be. Stu Baby as the greatest trainer of all time. And I told Dr. Tom, you may be the best current day trainer, Dr. Tom, but I got to give it to Stu, even though you're my boy. Tyler Breeze. Oh, Tyler Breeze. Yeah, Shout out to go. Tyler. Anybody that can make Jushin Thunder Liger a WWE Hall of Famer in one match, that's the guy I want to learn from. Not bad. Not bad at all from uh, Breezy. Love me some Liger, obviously. But uh, let's head to the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website, tmptempire.com. Of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. Jargo, what do you got? At not Jargo, michaeljargo.com. So much stuff going on, but you know, you can find it all basically there. I, I, I'm trying to narrow the plugs down to just those two. Wow. All right. Not bad. It's pretty succinct, pretty uh, short and sweet. I love that. But thank you, everybody out there, for listening. We'll see you right back here next week for a new episode of Who Is? See you next week. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. <laughs>